You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love More Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Good morning, good morning, good morning out there, you guys, in Blog Talk Radio Land and over at Rainbow. So we are coming down to one more weekend, one more week, I should say, not another weekend, but another week, and January 2021 month almost wrapped up. I hope you guys are headed in the direction that you promised yourself, that you promised yourself, that you promised yourself you would be headed in in 2020. It's a good time early, early in the year to stop and pause and see, do you need to make changes? Are you on track? Because as Aristotle said, quality is not an act. It is a habit. So are you creating the right routines, the right habits? to head in the direction that you you want to be in. So at the end of this year or the end of the quarter, you can say, I did it. And I want to tell you, if it's your first time tuning in to Off the Shelf, you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show, Off the Shelf, Books Talk Radio, to our loyal listeners. You guys, we had it in the 15 years. I want to thank you for those of you who tune in every Saturday, whether you catch us over at iTunes, again, Rainbow Soul, Blog Talk Radio. There's so many ways to to people listen to Off the Shelf. But I want to thank our loyal listeners who've been with us for 15 years. We have a wonderful author on deck for you this morning. I always enjoy researching for for the shows. But before I begin, I want to ask you, and you know I keep asking you guys this question, how good of a mystery sleuth are you? Just last night I was looking for some new episodes of Columbo. That's one of my favorite, favorite mystery shows. I also like American Greed. That's not a mystery show, but to see how the 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 what the person did, how did it happen? How did it unravel? How did somebody else get pulled into this scheme? If you like mystery, I encourage you to get a copy of Love for Over Me. But 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 wait a minute, that's not the only reason to get Love for Over Me. If you value relationships, there's a complicated father son relationship in here and we know from whether you watch Yana Van Zandt's show or other shows that come on TV, there are people with complicated parent-child relationships that affect everything else in their life. You can't you can't run from it. This is something, and Raymond has to deal with it. He has to deal with it. He has no choice. It's getting in the way of a romantic relationship with the woman he's meant to be with. They meet in college. But there's also a murder mystery that happens as soon as he gets to school. Find out. Find out who's involved in it. And speaking of relationships, there are these four friends. They are friends, male friends. Generally, you know, you hear about women friends. These are four male friends. They are friends forever and ever and ever. But is one of them responsible for the murder? If you value mystery and relationships, I I would encourage you to stop what you're doing. Click over to Amazon and get or Barnes and Noble and get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. And let me know how you enjoy 
the book. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is Miss Stanetta Anthony. Stanetta is a wife, mother, grandmother, and one of four children. So am I. So we have that in common. Actually, I'm one of five, so she's one of four. She is a Chicago native, Chi-Town, who has served for more than 20 years as an educator, and we thank her for her service. Sonetta started telling stories when she was a child as a way for her siblings and her to entertain themselves and each other. She has a bachelor's degree in educational leadership studies from Grand Canyon University, and she is the author of the books A Home for Sally and The Love Story. She is also a co-contributor of Michelle Obama's Impact on African-American Women and Girls. You can discover more about Stanetta at StanettaAnthony.Weebly.com, and I'll spell that S-T-E-N-E-T-T-A-A-N-T-H-O-N-Y dot W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com, StanettaAnthony.Weebly.com. And, of course, you can learn more about Sonetta Anthony by continuing to listen to this very off the shelf interview. We are honored, honored to have her with us. I'm getting ready to connect her in as we welcome her to Off the Shelf. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Sonetta. Hi, how are you? I'm blessed, I'm blessed, and we are so happy to have you here with us this morning, this Saturday morning. I think in your neck of the woods it's ten o'clock. 10 o'clock in the morning here. It is is 10 o'clock and it is snowing. Oh, it's snowing. It is snowing. Oh, you said that like it's really coming down. It is. It is. It is. Oh, you know what? I love the snow. Does this snow in in Chicago like it used to, though? Because a lot of places don't see snow as much as they used to. Um. Well, it's been mild for the last few years, but I think it's trying to make up the lost time. So oh, this year we have had a few snowstorms, so it's trying to make up the lost time. Okay, okay. Well, enjoy. I love the snow. I don't know if you do, but I would say enjoy the snow. So speaking of Chicago, uh, can this, the first few questions I'm going to ask, Danetta, I ask every guest who comes on the show because our listeners – told me early on they wanted to know a little bit about the guests before I launched into questions about their books or their movies or whatever they're working on. So to kick it off, Sonetta, could you please tell off-the-shelf listeners what life was like for you growing up in Chicago? Okay, so um, I am the oldest of four children. So life was interesting for me because I um, – I, I guess I could say I was the defender of of my three siblings. And so life for me was interesting. Um, I love Chicago. I couldn't see myself living any place else. Chicago, I love going to museums and the library. Chicago just has a lot for you to do. And so growing up in Chicago, I went to theaters. I went to movies. I went to carnivals. I played outside until the lights went down. Well, I'm sorry, the street lights went down. Then I came in, and um, I um, I lived in a family home, 
And in part of this family home was a barbershop in the basement, which was hilarious for us kids because we would put our ears down to the vent to see what the adults were talking about. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so it was fun. So being in Chicago and living in Chicago and still living in Chicago is, is just a fantastic experience. Like I said, I couldn't see myself living anywhere else. And there's just so much to do in Chicago, day you know, or night. You know, it's it's it, hearing you say that there are people. Now, when I I used to live in outside of Philadelphia, and I loved the times when I would go to New York City. And I've heard people. One of my cousins, in fact, visited New York, visited Chicago. Oh, they say that I take Chicago over New York. I'm like, are you kidding? They say yes. But the one thing people tell me Chicago is when the winters hit. Oh, oh, oh my God, that, that Chicago wind is different. So yes, they, it is. Oh my God. <laughs> that's the one thing people yeah, I, tell me. They don't miss that Chicago cold. They like that winter. That wind is different. It, <laughs> it really is. cuts through. It's you. a different kind of wind. It's I, I don't know how to. It is just. Oh gosh. You can feel it into your bones. It's just that yeah. it's just that bad. It's, so you need to be dressed normally. It's not the Chicago winters. It's, it's you know you see people with a little light jacket on and just some little shoes or something. Okay, everyone's looking at you. Why don't you have clothes on? Why don't you have What is wrong with you? Oh, my God. Maybe they knew and they just didn't know any better. I was going to ask you, was it a big arts town where you were coming up and you sort of asked, have you ever, have you been to New York? And if you compared the two, because New York is a town that never sleeps and there's the there's the theater and there's the food and there's the museums and there there are people from all over the world. You walk down the street in Manhattan and you, you can hear 10 or more different languages. It's just, it's a city unlike, is, is Chicago from an arts perspective, like on par with a New York? No, I have not had the privilege of going to New York yet. Uh, that is on one of my uh, my goals to go to New York. And I guess I would compare Chicago similar to that because we have our own uh, different communities. You have the Greek community, you have the Chinese community, and you have all of the stores and everything uh, that are within those perspective communities. So it's a community within a big city. Ah. So I guess that's the best uh that's the best way I could describe it because you can go um I live on the south side of Chicago and I may can go down to what is Chinatown. And Chinatown is Chinatown. Everything in Chinatown is Chinese. The language, the stores the restaurants, the people, and everything. So you're going in, and it's like you're stepping out of one place and you're stepping into another. Uh, and so there you know are what? different pockets of Chicago that are like that, uh, that are just culturally where they are ingrained in that particular culture, whatever that culture is. Okay. Now, I wanted to ask you, and you kind of alluded to it, going to the library, et cetera, how did Chicago's the art scene impact your dreams 
as a child, because I, I feel like sometimes when they talk about children who might be under-supported, that you you really, your dreams kind of launch from what you see. That's why I think the power of books comes in. What you see, what you're introduced to, if you're in a very depressed area, your dreams are going to go generally as far as what you, you see. That's that's what you believe is available. How did this art scene in Chicago impact your dreams as a child? Well, you know what? It uh, I really wasn't into the, um, I guess when I'm thinking about it, I really wasn't into the art scene when I was a child. I, I mean, it became more when I was an adult. I started, I started getting into the art scene and introducing my children and my grandchildren. But as a child, not really. I would go to the library, which was walking distance from my house, but not a lot, not a whole lot, not a whole lot. Okay. What did you dream, and I love this answer that guests give, what did you dream of becoming when you were a child? What did you say, when I grew up, I want to be? Um, I am far away from that. I wanted to be an accountant. Oh, and so, uh, why? I just, why? I, you know what? My aunt was an accountant, and she seemed to live the most fabulous life. I don't know why, but it just seemed like she lived a fabulous life as an accountant, and she's still an accountant to this day. Um, but when I started going to school for it, I said, "This is not for me." Uh. So. <laughs> I was like, too many numbers. <laughs> this is just not for me. Okay. So, so I was, uh, so I ended up going into education, which uh, I love, which I love. So, uh, you know, you can start off feeling as a child, this is what I want to do all my life. And sometimes people, you know, that's what they do, but not me. Uh, okay. Not me. I, I just couldn't. Couldn't do it. You know, it's good that you found that out early, rather than going all the way through college and then and then finding out. So it's good that you learned. You tried it, so you you learned it early. Now, as an educator, were you were you an elementary school teacher? This going to kind of tie into my uh, questions next about your writing. But were you an elementary school teacher? If not, what did you do as an educator? Okay, so I was a preschool educator and elementary school educator. And uh, so I did both, and then I ran a, a couple of, I was a director over a few after-school programs, and um, I teach Sunday school. Well, I'm on a little sabbatical, and I teach Sunday school. And so that's my uh, educational background in, um did a couple of ran a couple of tutoring programs, and so that's the extent of my uh, education. And that's background. a lot. That is, oh my yeah. goodness, oh my <laughs> goodness. How did being an educator influence your writing? Did it strengthen the well, like the the, the 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 critic in the editor and you? How did it? How did it? In, make you a stronger writer and you know what to look for? How did it influence your writing? Well, I guess one of the things, because I was, um, as an educator, and especially if you're in preschool, you have a tendency to read the same books over and over and over again. And so, uh, I mean, they're enjoyable, but I always felt like sometimes 
it's got to be a little different style, depending on your classroom environment. And so I would often take books like maybe the Three Pigs, the Three Bears, and modernize them. So they would become today instead of when they were written years ago. And then I would incorporate my students as well to say, okay, let's revise these books. And it was just funny. And that's how we uh, came about writing stories. And so they were my audience. And so when I would think about writing books or consider something, I would read them to them first, and they would tell me, Miss Anthony, I don't like it, or if they liked it. They <laughs> so my feelings got hurt sometimes, but it was okay. I'd rather for uh, them you, to be truthful. Yeah. You know. You can, you. You're going to get your honest feedback from kids, so that is that is one, you know, as you're shaping your writing. Now, this is a little off track, but I wanted to ask you this, especially when we think about reading. I recently heard that in school kids no longer learn how to write, like cursive writing. I was shocked. And they said, yeah, because nobody does it anymore. But with kids, and, Kindle coming. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought you was going to say something. With kid Kindle coming out. So now you're not learning cursive writing. With Kid Kindle coming out, do you think that kids will start reading more digital books than print? And and what effect do you think that's going to have on kids? We are really, I mean, it's changed so much since I was a kid, it's just, it's, and it's happening so fast. Uh, just different things, like some kids might not even know how to dial an old type of phone. They might not even right. know how to use it. It's like it's just changed so much. But how do you think that is going to impact the book industry and kids if they we start moving more and more for kids that like it? They don't even read print books anymore. Right. You know what? Um, it's a good and a bad. Um, the good is is the technology. You know, they're learning from technology. The bad is is that having a book within your hand and being able to read it over and over again is just, a phenomenal thing. And so uh, in a lot of schools now, they don't have books. They they use devices. Uh, homework, they don't have books. They're using devices. And it's, I, I believe it's a good and a bad uh, cursive writing. You know, you need to learn how to write cursive. When you're seeing, you may need your John Hancock on something, you can't print your John Hancock. You have to write your John Hancock. And so it's putting them in a position where you're not prepared when you go out into real life. I'm going to say real life. Uh, when you're in school, you're in school and it's to, you know, you're guarded. But when you go out into real life, you have to deal with things the way you deal with them. And there are manuals and there are books and there are everything that you need to read and you need to study from and so mm. academically I'm just kind of swayed and I see the good and I see the bad and so as a parent and a grandparent I can see that if I'm sitting down with my grandchildren during their homework we're on the device instead of looking at a book. Yeah. And 
you're just clicking on an answer, and the answer is telling you whether you're right or wrong. You haven't really used your mind to say, okay, you haven't used the reasoning process, I'm going to say it like that, to evaluate this answer. And so mm-hmm. it's just a drawback. It's a drawback. But I'm not okay. against what, what, you know, some things are going on. So it's a good and a bad and everything, I guess. Yeah, it's changing, that's for sure. Now, can you tell us, Danetta, when did you start writing the love story and what inspired you to write this particular story? Okay, so I started writing the love story at the wonderful age of 48. And and I, uh, I never thought about writing a book. Even though I had, I guess I had been writing all my life, but I never thought about publishing in that in that respect. And the love story was derived from our, my Cindy. No, I'm sorry. Our nursery department at our church asked us to create a curriculum, and uh, in the process of creating a curriculum, the love story came from that. And I was creating a curriculum about uh, the love of Jesus Christ. And uh, the love story, as I was uh, doing everything that needed to do that was required me, then uh, that came from that. And it sat on the shelf about mm, a year and a half. And after about a year and a half, I was reading it to actually my sister-in-law. And uh, I said, what do you think about this? And she asked me, where did you get this book from? And it kind of threw me. Because I was like, what book? And she said, that book that you're reading to me. And that is how the love story started. And that's how I began my writing career. Just from Ah. the conversation. So it wasn't, you know, I went to school. I did this. I did that. It just came from, I guess, a simple conversation with someone and her helping me along that process and other people helping me along the process. And uh, here we are today. Okay. Please give us an overview or, or a synopsis of the love story. Okay. So the love story is written in today's language, and it is about the um, birth of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. And so it tells about uh, how he came from heaven to earth and how he traveled on the earth and then uh, the resurrection and his death. So it's just kind of a biblical story. It is a biblical story, but it's written in today's language and it's written for children who may have never opened a Bible for them to understand and get a grasp of, okay, this is a person that did something for me and I can understand why they did something for me. So, is so it, it was written is it, specifically for that. So it's written, it, it's written, what age group is it written for? And does it follow, would it, does it start with Christ in heaven before he comes down and in a way a child can understand? Or is he an adult and, and, and when the children are introduced to the story, is he like in heaven? Is he, is he, do you show his, his childhood so kids can kind of relate to what he may have been like as a child? And what age groups is the book written for? Okay, so the age group is from zero to five, and it does begin in heaven. And it begins, uh, one of the lines 
uh, the beginning of the book, it says, once upon a time in a place called heaven. And so it begins with uh, Jesus and God having this conversation between each other and then how Jesus comes down to earth and at his birth <clears throat> and with the uh, three wise men and everything at the, at the, how we celebrate Christmas. And then it talks about uh, him going into an adult and what he did as an adult and how he traveled from place to place, healing sick people and doing special deeds for people. And then it goes to where he um, goes back to heaven. Uh, I'm sorry, sitting in the grave, sitting in, not at the grave, I'm sorry, sitting and in, the, in the garden talking to his father about making that decision of uh, going to the cross. And uh, after he does that, he descends back into heaven. And so at the end, I could tell this, and so at the end, instead of it being adults watching him descending into heaven, it is children watching him ah. So, yeah, so it's a little bit, I mean, that's a little bit of a twist at the end because we always hear about the adults singing, but what about the kids, you know? So the kids are watching him go back to heaven. Oh, okay. I love that. I love that that concept. Um, so the love story, and it's, this is a book, it sounds like, that parents could, if they're trying to introduce their child to the to the scriptures, and you know we have like children's church when you go to church because the adult is the kids may be difficult for them to grasp what you're saying. This could be a good way to introduce them to the story and then expound upon it after that. Uh, I want to ask you more questions about the book, but before we do, I wanted to ask you what was it like. Uh, definitely want to ask more about the story, but for our authors who are listeners, what was it like working with Create Space as you put this story together? Well, Create Space was an interesting process for me. Uh, the love story was actually uh, put together by a publisher uh, initially, and that publisher went out of business. And so I still wanted my story to go on. And so I had to make the decision as an author whether to just let the story, the love story, die and, you know, that's it, or would I relaunch it and put it out again. So I had to go through the process, uh, which was interesting for me, and relaunch it again. So uh, it was interesting because it was something I didn't know how to do. Uh, so I had to get advice from people who had self-published previously, uh, putting pictures together, getting ISBN numbers, and uh, just putting everything together again and trying to work it again. And it was it was interesting. It was a little difficult because I, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, I just didn't. I can be honest, I just didn't. So I did a lot of YouTubing. Uh, YouTube is my friend. So I did a lot of that. And uh, we put it back together. It looks a little different than initially when it uh, came out, but we put everything back together again. And so it's now listed directly up under me instead of up under our publisher. 
Wow, you know what? I commend you, uh, Sonetta, that you and these things can happen. This is, a, you know, advice to any any writer, you don't, or anybody in any business. You don't know what's going to happen to the company. There are major companies that file Chapter 11, and some come back. They might find a buyer, and they're able to come right. back or umbrella themselves in another another business. So these things happen. But I really recommend uh, research, and this is for other authors who are off-the-shelf listeners, um, researching the book industry, researching print, uh, e-book, audio books, because audio books are starting yeah. to take off. Re- research these things, and pr- get price, find out what's a high price, what's an average price, what's a more competitive price. Find who some of the uh, some of the people in the industry who are who are reputable and trustworthy in the industry, and start getting out. Like you said, you talk to other authors. I would do that definitely almost six months before I put out a book, three months at the least. And and so the yeah. Something else happens, like with what's the matter? You have a second option that you you are you're up to speed on, and you can learn about. So, but I commend you for coming out the message in the love story, maybe the the greatest love story ever, uh, to to keep moving to share your story. So, next I wanted to ask you, you know, talking about putting a story together. For whether it's parents or I know this is something that attracts children to stories, but also adults because I feel like the sometimes if I read a YA <laughs> or book, I still enjoy them. And this is one of the things that pulls me in. Yes. Who? How did you find your illustrator, and who did the illustrations for the love story? Well, the publisher, the initial publisher that I went with, they did the illustrations because I don't know how to draw, and so I just kept the uh, uh, the uh, same illustration. One thing I recommend for any author, you need to copyright everything. So my illustrations were copywritten by me. Even though the publisher did them, they were copywritten by me. So I own the rights to those illustrations. I own the rights to those words. And so if they, if for some reason something happens, you need to have yourself covered. And so I didn't do them. It was in my favor that they did them, but I owned them. Smart. I appreciate you sharing that tip. I do appreciate you sharing that tip. Copyright. You know, we had a, uh, there was another author. She Her book went to be a New York Times bestseller. It's an adult book when I was living in Philly. And she had a friend do her book cover. And she, when the book took off, I neither one of them thought it would take off like it did. Then the the her friend came back looking for more money, and she said, mm-hmm. "What you just said? <laughs> not not <laughs> just the copyright, but she said have some. I have an ironclad contract. I mean, it has to yeah. be very specific. Yeah. You can't say we friends, we in this together, and then no. somebody sells a hundred thousand copies of their book, and yet you." So both of you thought you never even would sell ten thousand, let alone a hundred thousand, and now your friends knocking on the door saying, "I want a bigger cut." So it's it's yeah. Have up the copyright. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. What other tips can you share with authors who are looking for if you if you found? And I don't know if you like if this is your only book out today, but. Authors who are looking for a children's book illustrator. The copyright tip was just 
incredible. But are there any other tips you can share with authors who are looking for a children's book illustrator? Okay, so if you're looking for, okay, the first thing I could say is it has to be a meeting of the minds. Uh, because I did have a few people who did uh, the illustrations for the love story. And I looked at the book and I looked at the pictures and I looked at the book and I looked at the pictures and I thought, did you read the book? Did you read the book? And so it has to be, I don't mean to be funny, but it was kind of funny. Like, oh my goodness. And so if you're going to look for an illustrator, you all have to come to a meeting of the mind. Just don't settle saying, okay, they these books, okay, I'll accept them. If that's not what you want, then that's not what you want. So you need to be clear with that illustrator, this is what I want. Even if you can't draw it yourself, which I can't, but I can, I can articulate, this is what I want. This is the colors I want. These are the images I want. This is the line I want. And then you need to, before you do that, you need to start looking at other pictures. You know, what kind of pictures do you like personally? Look at uh, all different types of uh, children's books and do a comparison. Okay, I like this, but I don't like that. How can we put that together? And so with the love story, we did that. I, I liked one part, but I didn't like the other. Can we put them together to make it look the way I want it to look? And that's something you have to be clear about. Writing it down, just don't have it in your head. Okay, in my head, I know what I want, but I didn't write it down. So you need to write it down and make that clear as well. With an illustrator, I'm going to double back a little bit when you said about a clad iron contract. You need to have a clad iron contract with that illustrator. This Mm. is what it's going to be. Okay, if we hit 100,000 copies, this is what it is. Don't take it for granted if it's your mother, father, sister, brother, other. You write out a clad iron contract with them. And don't let anyone rush you through the process. Uh, it's your process. It's your book. It's your baby. You know what you want it to sound like. You know what you want it to feel like. You know what you, I'm going to say you should. You should know what you want it to sound like. You should know what you want it to feel like. You should know what this is to you. If you're taking the time to write it, you should take the time to say, okay, I'm not going to settle for just some junk. I'm going to take my time and do what I need to do. Okay. Can you share with uh, with us what, what have readers been saying about the love story? Well, my audience is my little children, so they like it. Uh, the parents, I've had parents uh, tell me that they read it as a bedtime story, which Aww. is really nice. <laughs> which is yes. really nice. So those are the biggest things that I've gotten. And uh, for people who are in church, some of them say they use it uh, as a supplement to maybe a Sunday school lesson or something like that. So those are the things that I've heard about the love story. That that is wonderful. You know, and I want to want to ask you. And again, I, I, the questions I ask, I try to make them be, so that they're beneficial for our listeners, and we have a wide 
audience of listeners, whether they're just book lovers or some of them are writers, authors. We've had a, a myriad of different guests on the show, but just centering around storytelling. But that shared, how has working as an educator, you had to have, I can only imagine, have built contacts and relationships with schools and maybe potentially different libraries that service uh, the the young reader. How has that work as an educator helped you as you, you know, try to get your books in the libraries, get your books into stores and sell more? How, how have those relationships uh, helped you? Those have been good because uh, I can uh, reach out to them and say, okay, I've written a book or I'm thinking about writing a book. And so keeping those relationships and reaching out to people, reaching out to principals or librarians or, you know, somebody in the educational field has been beneficial for me because they can buy it and then they share, you know, and they share what they have. And that's that's been a great that's been a great thing for me. It's been a great thing. So would for you me. would you recommend? I know a lot of places, like in the military, they have uh, the military books bookstores. They have um, book buyers. Is it is it like to a, a, a way for a writer to connect with a school's book buyer, or should they go through the principal? Well, you know what, uh, every school district is different. Chicago school district. Uh, they recommend going through the uh, principal. So depending on the state where you live, I would research and see what is the best, what is their policy, because every state is different. And uh, it's funny that you talked about military events. I'm actually sitting in my car right now volunteering at a military event. So, yeah. Uh, I used to be in the Navy. That's why I brought that up. Really? Uh, I, yeah, I was in the Navy, so I know they have those, uh, and I forget what they call them, but they have the military, you know, you can get stuff cheaper there. Uh, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know why I want to say MEPS, but that's not what it's called. But they have those stores on all the military, not all the military bases, but the big ones. The smaller military bases might have something like the size of a Seven Eleven, but they have like right. re- real big stores, like uh, uh, Pearl Harbor and some of the um, the bigger sites. They have, I mean, they're nice. You can go in there and get stuff. Mm-hmm. That's a good place, you know, if you could get in with a lot of those. Uh, those yeah. stores, you can sell a whole lot of books. Uh, but well, how soon after you finished the love story did you start writing on a home for Sally? Uh, it was about maybe two years, two years, because I did a couple of things in between. I was just working on a, a few things in between. It was about six years. So. Oh, six years. Okay. Introduce us to Sally. Who is she and what is she like? Okay, so Sally is a uh, special needs puppy, and uh, Sally, her story is is she was surrendered uh, from a forever home into a and a long term adoption facility, and Sally goes through different challenges and emotions and. A, a whole plethora of things that she goes through uh, to finding a forever home. And one of her biggest challenges is because she is special needs. She's missing a left paw. And so she's not considered 
the quote-unquote normal dog that people would go into a facility and see and say, oh, I really want to adopt her. So she, um, she's interesting. She's an interesting character. Now, how did so? So was she born? Her mother. Her does she have other little siblings? Is she? How is she? How old is she when she's like on her own? And and is she like born in the pound? How 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 does she? Why is she searching for for a home? You know how people have a a dog. They have mm-hmm. puppies and they keep all the puppies and then they maybe sell right. them, sell some of the puppies. Why is she out? Why is Sally searching for a home? Well, because she was her and her siblings, her previous owner, who her name is Miss Brooks, her name is Miss Brooks, and because Miss Brooks could not keep Sally and her siblings, she had to surrender them to a the adoption facility, and that's how she got to where she was. And she was born with her defect. Uh, mm-hmm. None of her siblings were born with a defect. It was just Sally. It was just Sally. Oh, poor little Sally. Sally. Yeah. (laughs) So what is she, is she, I I don't want to get a story away, but does she go from, do people adopt her and then say, no, I don't, and take Sally back? I don't know, I can't tell you the end because I have to tell you. Can you tell tell us a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about the people who do, she, she finds a home, I know that, but can you tell us a little bit about Sally the people who uh, the finally take her into her home, and does she, can you tell us even if just once she goes into a home and then maybe people say, nah, we don't, and then they take her back? Well, no, they uh, they didn't take her back, and it was actually a child who went in with their parents and was looking for uh, a dog. And it was the child who wanted Sally. The parents were resistant to getting Sally, but the child encouraged the parents to get Sally. Isn't that how it goes? <laughs> you know what? Mm-hmm. It I, is. That's how it goes. Isn't that how it goes? Especially with pets. You know what? And, it, and, and it, that's, that's a parent's love for their child because mo- I've heard so many parents say, no, we are not getting a dog. No, we're not getting a cat because I'm going to be the one taking care of it. <laughs> You're right. just going to want to play play with it, and you're not going to clean up after it. You're not going to feed it. You're not going to walk it. And now, you know, but it's a child pulling on your heart. Uh, come on, please. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so the and encouraged uh, Sally's adoption. Uh-oh. And then there's another theme, like the 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 love story. There's another theme in, in your book, um about a home a home for Sally, there's that theme of love that just comes up again, which I think is absolutely wonderful. Now, is Sally based on a dog that you owned? And if not, where did you get the personality and the ideals to create Sally? Well, they came uh, twofold. Um, when I was in the classroom, I uh, taught special education. And so I've seen a lot of uh, children who were special needs, so it came from that point. And then uh, watching television and watching, uh, you know, when they have segments about uh, dog adoption. And what I start 
I guess it was just me. I started looking. I said, where are all the dogs that are either old or have a disability? All we see is the normal dogs. And I understand that they're promoting adoption and you want to put the best foot forward and everything. But what about the other dogs who are waiting too? And so that's where it came from. It came from both of those places. Oh, interesting. Why is Sonetta, and, and you can tell you have that warm heart, why is pet adoption important? You know what, because there are millions of dogs, millions of um, I just read from in, uh, something from the ASPCA, there are 6.6 million uh, actually dogs and cats who are left to go into adoption, who are left to be adopted uh, per year. And wow. out of that, oh my God. And out of that, I, I don't want to say the figure wrong, but I know there are hundreds of thousands who are euthanized within a year's Ooh. time. And so there are a lot of dogs. Uh, my story isn't about cats, but there are a lot of animals who are euthanized in a year's time. And uh, a lot of dogs that who are adopted, uh, they may, the owner may change their mind and surrender them back to the adoption agency. And so then you're going in the process, the animal is going through the process all over again. And so just think about if we are, as a human Someone adopts us, and then they say, okay, I changed my mind, and then I put you back where you are, and then I have to start all over again. And then I don't know if I'm going to get another home or if I'm going to get uh, if I'm gonna get euthanized, if I'm going to die. And so this is what a lot of animals are going through on a daily basis. You know, it's good that you brought attention to that. And then in the, in the story as well, uh, the pet adoption, We and we, people need to neuter their pets too. So this, yes. that's another way to, to, to reduce this as well. Sonetta, do you plan to write an adult novel? And if you did, what do you think that novel would be about? Okay, so if I, it would be a Christian romance. If I decide to do such romance, a okay, romance. I love romance, and so it would be something romantic. I I don't know what, but it would be something romantic. You got that love, you know the 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 love story, <laughs> a home for Sally, Christian romance. I mean, it's just in your heart, and that's such a blessing. Now, authors have said that writing for children is challenging. At first take, you know, you think writing a short story is easy, writing a poem is easy, it's shorter. But I've actually heard people say, and I will say on poetry, I think poetry is one of the hardest forms of writing, personally. But I've heard people say you would think writing for children would be easy, but I've heard it is one of the more challenging forms of writing. That said, now you said you haven't written an adult novel yet, so you wouldn't have that to compare it to, but did you find it challenging or easy to write your two children's books, The Love Story and A Home for Sally? I found it easy. Okay. It was it was it was 
it was pretty easy. Um, I just sat down and I started writing. Now, the hard part came is when I started reading it <laughs> to the children. That's when the hard part came. was like, did I make a mistake? That's when the harder part came. But writing it, it did. It wasn't that hard. It wasn't that hard. So why was why was reading it? You, their response or it was their response because I heard I don't like none of it. I don't like a oh. picture. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh! <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my God. oh my! So, so maybe they, the they, they and you know with the kids maybe they tell you exactly what they didn't care for, and then you know the next time you write the story. Um, what yeah. to do? You know to, what to change. Do the, the, for, for uh, when you when writing for children, you writing for young young children. Um, did they? Is it they? They they like a lot of excitement in the story, or do they? Are they like adults? It's the character. They have to connect with the character in the story. I I think it's uh, the connection with the character. I, I believe ah. that's it because sometimes you know you. Uh, it's just like when you, if you remind, if you're, I'm, I'm thinking about now when I was a child, I could connect with a character. I like that character. I see myself within that character. Or maybe even if you're watching a commercial or uh superhero, they're connected with that character. And that character is like the best thing going. And so I, I believe that's the that's it. You just have to connect with the character. Same same for adults then. You got to make them care about what is going to happen to the character. Now, what yes. writing process, if we come down to about the last 10 minutes in today's interviews, Sonetta, what writing process do you follow? It sounds like you just sit down and start writing, but do you use outlines, character sketches? How do you get your ideals down on paper in story form? Okay, so usually I use I use character forms. First of all, I have to think about what the character. That's how I start with the character is the biggest thing for me, and then I go through outline forms, and uh, I kind of go back and forth with that. Uh, that's the biggest thing that I do, and I sometimes I start it off and I may change the character name, I may change their appearance and different things like that, but that's that's the actual way that I start off. And so it sounds like you kind of use a, an, an assortment of things to help pull the story forward. Before you publish, yes. do you, you said, you you know, reading to the children, do you, is it now, is it now something that you do where you do it would be hard with kids, though. You would probably have to work with kids in your family that before you publish it, you you have some young children. <laughs> Can y'all read the story or let me read it to you and then get their feedback on the story? Is that a, is that an approach you've considered taking going forward? I know adults, they'll, they'll sometimes not, not only working with a professional editor but have a reading group that will read it and, and, and let me know if there's something that I need to change. Yes. I, I, uh, my grandchildren and uh, some of the uh, other children that I know, I usually read to them first. And um, depending on how old they are, if maybe they're 10 years old, 11 years old, I ask them to give me 
written feedback on what they liked or what they didn't like. And I have a survey that I have for myself that uh, I use for myself where I'm writing down, okay, this is what they like, this is what they don't like, because they're my audience, you know. They're the ones, they're not actually the ones going out buying the books, but they encourage their parents or uh, adult or whomever to buy the book. So I need their input. I need to hear what they're saying. Because I could be feeling one way and it's like, no, I can be off task. But if I'm asking mm-hmm. them, I, I if I'm asking them, I know I'm getting the good, hard, earnest truth. Okay. Can you share three to four steps that you take that you have found to be effective at getting the word out about your books? Well, uh, first thing is to start early. Uh, The earlier, the better. Uh, Social media is a big thing. Uh, Word of mouth is actually a big thing. And connecting with other people and organizations is a good thing. You you have to put out put yourself out there, and you can't be afraid of a no. Uh, never be mm. afraid of a no. Uh, just because they said no one time doesn't mean the next person is going to say no. Interesting. That's a and that's a good thing. That is a good thing uh, to remember. So social media. Some people say they've had more success with Facebook. Uh, for me, I've. I've gained more traction through Twitter, and then some people have had phenomenal success with Pinterest, some with Instagram. So I would I would encourage readers to see which platform they have the most, they get the most traction off of. And you might be fortunate and get it off of more than one traction. I also am a big fan of building your own mailing list, and you can use mm-hmm. a, have a newsletter to do that. Because what would you do if a social media platform shut down? You would lose all that access. So I, I, I'm, wow. I'm a big fan of having your own uh, mailing list as well. Are you working on any any new books, Danetta? And if so, could you give us a glimpse into what you're working on? Okay, yes. I am working on a new book, and um, it is almost finished. And it okay. is about a character, and she has adventure. And so it's a little something different for me. It's going to be a series book, uh, a series. And so it just uh, shares the different adventures of her life. Uh, she is a preteen. So I'm coming out of. Uh, Yo, uh, you're bringing up the age group. I'm bringing up the age. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so her name is uh, Lillian. And so Lillian, Lillian has different adventures that she's going through in her in her young life. Okay. And so we're gonna see how Lillian. Uh, we're gonna see what happens with Lillian. She's still being worked on t- right now. Can you give us a little glimpse into Miss Lillian's personality? Is she okay? My, 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 what, what, what kind of a character? What's her personality like? Okay, so she has a personality. She's kind of strong-willed. She wants her way. Uh, She's not always willing to listen to everyone. Uh, So Lillian, I'm going to say she was a little bit like me 
when I was growing up, I knew it all, but I didn't know anything. <laughs> so that's uh, okay. She sounds like a character who I would love. I, my my well, my favorite character when I was growing up was Pippi Longstocking. I love. Oh yeah, she, her. She, she was so fiercely independent. She was gonna do her own thing no matter what, and I just I I loved that. Character, I think a strong character or a character with a strong personality is very works very well. I would imagine with uh, with children uh, readers, we learn so much about ourselves while we're creating Sonetta. We what have you learned about yourself since you started writing your first book? Oh my goodness, I have learned how to be patient with myself. That's the biggest okay. thing. I learned how to be patient with myself. I learned that I wasn't as tough as I thought I was. I thought I was just, you know, I was just a tough girl. But I've learned to be tougher. Uh, mm. I um, I learned how to say no. That was the biggest thing, especially when it comes to my time. I learned how to say no. So those are. Those are some of the biggest things that I've learned about myself. And I learned uh, uh, who's really supportive and who's not. Yeah, you know, you you learn about yourself as you create. Some people, something will come up while they're writing, and they'll, like you said, patience. They'll see, oh, I'm I'm I'm, I'm impatient, and they never they really see it that way. Or the process of not only writing but trying to market a book, they may see uh, an area they can improve on when it comes to relating with other people. Or for me, like magical thinking, things don't – you're not just going to sell a bunch of books because you wrote a book. You have to really right. get out here and, and really, really hustle. Where That said, where can off-the-shelf listeners get a copy of The Love Story and A Home for Sally? Okay, so the uh, Home for Sally, I'm sorry, the Love Story is available on Amazon and as well as uh, Home for Sally. A Home for Sally is available everywhere. She's available on Barnes & Noble, it's on Kindle, Apple iTunes. Uh, if you wanted to uh, place it as an order in a bookstore, you can. So A Home for Sally is available everywhere. Everywhere. Okay. And hopefully the love story will just hop along with a home for Sally. And some people, you know, they they see the they see the author, they like the author's work, and then they go back and buy some more books that the author has written. Do you have any upcoming speaking engagements? And if so, can you please share a few of those upcoming events with our listeners so they could go out and support you? No, not uh, currently. Not at this time. I don't have anything coming up currently. Looking okay. at some stuff, just I just don't have anything uh, solidified at this time. Okay. Last question. If you're on any social media networks, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Okay. So you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and LinkedIn. Okay. And they would look for just Donetta Anthony? Yep. Just just look for Sonetta Anthony. 
I have a unique name. So <laughs> yes, and it's again our listeners spelled S T E N E T T A, and our website again is StanettaAnthony.Weebly.com. S T E N E T T A. A N T H O N Y dot W E E B L Y dot com. Sonetta Anthony dot Weebly dot com. And we have had the pleasure of having Miss Sonetta Anthony with us this morning. She is the author of the books A Home for Sally and The Love Story. And she said she is almost finished with her third book. She also is a co-contributor of Michelle Obama's impact on African-American women and girls, and we didn't even get around to discussing that book. But we want to thank Sonetta for being here with us and encourage you to support her by either visiting our website or getting a copy of one of her books, again, A Home for Sally or The Love Story. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here with us this Saturday on this January the 25th. To our listeners, remember, as I always tell you, you are awesome. You are incredible. You are amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Sonetta, thank you so much. I'll shoot you an email with a link to the show when it finishes streaming. Bye for now. Bye-bye.